This show is brought to you by the North Face. Now, the North Face have been my sponsors for the last eight or nine years, and I'm really proud to be involved with this fantastic outdoor brand. Now, they've been in the outdoor industry for over 50 years, and they're the premier supplier of authentic, innovative, and technologically advanced exploration apparel. For your footwear, equipment, accessories, they've got the best stuff. Now, their lightweight and weather-resistant flight series running gear is my absolute favorite. So, if you're into trail running, if you're into desert running, if you're into just exploring our mountains, then these, this is the go-to gear. And it's designed to endure, engineered to help you through the heat, through heavy downpours, or whatever else comes your way so that you can run no matter what, every day, any weather, any terrain, and never stop exploring. If you'd like to check out their whole range, go to thenorthface.co.nz. <laughs> Welcome Welcome. to Pushing the Limits, the podcast that gets deep into the psyche of extraordinary achievers across all genres, cutting to the chase to unlock the secrets of their success, their achievement, philosophies, and motivations. Join us in the quest to find out what makes the movers and shakers of our world tick and what gems and wisdom we can learn from them. Now, over to your host, Lisa Tamati. Well, hi everyone, it's Lisa Tamari here once again at Pushing the Limits and welcome to this week's episode. Today I do not have a guest, I have another solo cast for you, I hope you're not getting bored of my voice, but I wanted to um, talk a little bit about why running is cheaper than therapy. The title is meant to be a little bit provocative and uh, I often get asked the question, uh, why do you do all this long distance running or why have you done done it and how can it be healthy and do you have an addiction and all of these sort of questions around my sanity for doing what I've done and you know for me running is so much more and I've said this before on podcast it's so much more than just a sport a way to keep fit a way to keep the weight down it's so much it's a way of life it's what I've used to be my therapy it certainly has literally saved my life and I wanted to sort of expound on some of those sort of thoughts today around why running is so powerful as a means for mental health for finding balance in your life and this is not just true perhaps about just running this can be other sports that are they have to be connected to nature I think that's probably you know movement in nature is is probably the key point here Uh, for me that was running and having adventures in crazy places and pushing myself to the limit. When you do these sorts of things, you find out so much about who you are and what you are capable of. And it helps you overcome a lot of the the chatter that you have constantly going on in your brain. You know, sometimes I just feel like telling my brain to shut the hell up. You know, it, it is constantly a flow of thoughts that are going. And I find that when I go running, that chatter slows down after a little while. Might take 20, 25 minutes to get through, get rid of the day's sort of grind and what you've been dealing with and the problems and the obstacles and leave work behind and all that sort of stuff. But after a little while, when you start to connect with your body, you start to connect with nature and if you're outside and your your mind and your processes start to clear and your thinking starts to clear, your decision-making abilities start to clear. It's also a wonderful time for reflection, you know. A lot of people go, oh, running's just such a drag. And, I, you know, people who aren't regular runners or haven't got to that stage where it's become a, a therapy or it's become something that they are addicted to, and that's a word that I'll talk about a little bit in a while, but it's it's a very powerful 
mechanism to help find balance. And what I think is so important in this day and age, why this is important is because we are living in a very artificial environment. This is not how our ancestors lived. This is not, we are living in comfortable houses for the most part. We're in offices all day or schools all day. We're sitting all day. Many of us, not all of us, obviously, there's a lot of people that are still working manually, but I'd say for the majority of us, that is our daily life. And this disconnects us to the way that we used to be, the way we used to live, where we were hunter-gatherers or whether we were persistence hunters or whether we were, you know, just out there surviving, having to build our own houses, having to till the land, having to grow our own plants, all of these sort of things that have really disappeared for many, many of us who are living now in cities or in massive cities or even in smaller cities who are working in offices behind computer screens and all of this sort of stuff disconnects us from our true nature and from what what we've developed over, you know, millennia. You know, we've always been outside, exposed to the elements. I mean, just little things like I've been studying uh, the effect of light on the body and the different types of light and that we are exposed to, for example, a lot of blue light now with our screens that we're connected to all day, our televisions, our our, uh, computers, our laptops, our, our iPhones, they're all emitting these blue lights that are really affecting our sleep patterns, the amount of melatonin that we're producing, our ability to have restful sleep, and all of these sort of little pieces of the puzzle that were never a problem for uh, earlier generations are now becoming a big problem for us. And every single day, I get inundated with messages from people from all around the world who are struggling with different mental health issues, with depression, with anxiety, with panic attacks, with people who are facing massive challenges uh, and really struggling with something in life. And people write to me every day. I get I get uh, probably uh, over 20 messages a day from separate people telling me their life stories, telling me the dramas that they're going through. And this is a real, I, I take this as a real privilege to hear these people's stories and to try to help them. And uh, if, if for those of you wondering why on earth would anyone write to me and, and tell me their problems, well, I, I'm a running coach, um, but I'm also doing a lot like this podcast, for example. I put everything out there that I've experienced in my books and so on. Uh, I've got two books out. I've got a third one on the way. And I, I've tried very clearly and honestly to share with people the honest journey that I go through, the 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 glamorous parts and the not-so-glamorous parts, the highs, the lows, the challenges, the, the the situations that I've found myself in, some of the funny stories I've gotten myself into. But I think this makes people, I think people are hungering for real human connection and we are privileged with this technology that we have available that we can learn on a level that we never could before. We can reach out to each other. We can communicate on this level. Um, and, and that's a fantastic thing. And so I get inundated um, and, and it sometimes is overwhelming because it's just the number of people that I have to answer on a daily basis, on an individual basis, becomes uh, very, very time consuming. But I'm very privileged to have insights into what people are going through. And I obviously use running a lot to help people. So when 
we have a lot of athletes at Running Hot Coaching. We do uh, training programs, obviously. We have a very holistic approach to our training. But a big part of that puzzle and what comes out more and more and more and more is the mindset, the motivation, the mental struggles that people are going through and helping them with that first and foremost before we actually get onto the nuts and bolts of running and this is something that I think I'm very passionate about because I think it's a very much a holistic approach that we need to take to people in general in life and whatever we are uh, offering people as, as services you know um, that to, to, if we look at people as a whole rather than as an individual pieces of the puzzle then we can help them on a much deeper level if we're in services like ours with the coaching or with my Mindset Academy, I have an online e-course which is all about how to develop mental toughness, emotional resilience, a never quit mentality, leadership skills and all of this sort of thing. And I really find it, it, it's, uh, I love to hear from people because I get to feel what the pulse is on the ground, what people are struggling with on a day-to-day basis and then it helps us to build programs and systems and courses around helping people actually overcome some of their challenges that they are facing. You know, I, I'm, I'm sometimes I'm absolutely horrified at the life stories that I hear, the tragedies that people have been through, and uh, you know, I feel so humbled that people would share their their intimate stories with me, and it it, it really reinforces for me that sharing openly about my struggles is, is very important too. And I and I wanted to share a little bit of a backstory why basically, you know, running why I say running actually saved my life. In my early twenties I was in a very abusive relationship and it was a very controlling relationship. Lots of wonderful things came out of that. I, I got to travel a, a lot with this person. I I got to explore my 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 potential, my limits, my sporting abilities, but it was a, a, I was in a constant state of absolute exhaustion, being pushed to the limits physically beyond what I was capable of and being constantly told that I was absolutely useless at everything. And he, he would always say, you know, I'm not being nasty, this is just the facts. You just are useless. You have very bad genetics. You don't have any ability as a runner. You're hopeless at this, you're hopeless at that. And, you know, people say, well, why the hell didn't you walk away from something like that? Well, it's a little bit more complicated than that. And, you know, that goes outside the scope of this, looking into people's relationships and why we get into these situations. But needless to say, it was something that happened very slowly over a period of a number of years where the control shifted to being an equal partnership and to being one uh, of being controlled completely. And so my mindset was um, about all about survival and keeping my head down because any little thing would trigger him off. And um, it was a real, real struggle in this time to find out, find myself. I, I lost in that time. I went from being quite a confident young woman yeah, certainly with a number of issues, but I had a level of confidence. I'd, I'd had a loving uh, childhood. I'd had, you know, wonderful mum and, and so on, and, and I had a good upbringing. And yet I found myself lacking so totally in confidence later on. And when this happened to me, it totally blew me to pieces. The physical exhaustion combined with the mental torture, and, and I say this as, you know, Carefully, um, it was for me like going through a torture, and I'm sure he didn't mean it to be like that, but it was a bombardment of of being told on a daily basis and lectured to for hours upon hours in a, in a, in a way of like brainwashing just how bad a person I was, how morally uh, decrepit I was, how 
you know, all of these sort of things that would come out. And, and it really was a reflection of how he was feeling and we were both young. And, and I don't want to say this to, to criticise anybody or use any names. What I want to say with this is that I lost who I was in that period of my life. I was destroyed emotionally. I was a nervous wreck. That relationship actually came to an end in the middle of the Libyan desert. We were doing an expedition, a crossing there. It was a 250-kilometre uh, crossing through unknown, pretty unknown territory at that stage. It hadn't been explored. There were no maps. We only had two litres of water a day. We had to carry our entire supplies on our backs, which meant we couldn't physically carry much more than two litres a day. So the backpacks were between 35 and 45 kilos. I'd just crossed the Arabian Desert the week before, and then we're heading off into the Libyan Desert. And needless to say, I was on the absolute limits of my ability. And the dehydration was something that was absolutely ferocious. We were all suffering terribly. And this was, yeah, five years into this relationship where I didn't have a heck of a lot of self-esteem. And the upshot of that whole time was that we had to fight sort of through about 45 kilometres a day of really, really tough terrain. We're talking, you know, 40 plus degrees with this limited water supply through unknown territory. We only had um, pilot maps, so we didn't have any sort of uh, GPS was in the very early stages of, of development there. And uh, it was, needless to say, it was an absolute nutty thing to do, but we were young and gung-ho. And it was being led by a, a very experienced guy. Um, there was four of us in this expedition. What happened was the on day four, the partner that I've been with for five years had a domestic with me over the fact that I wasn't helping him more with the photography. Uh, the leader of the expedition told him to back off. There was a big alpha male fight over this, and the upshot was that he decided to leave me, and that was the end of the relationship, or it was going to be, and he was going to leave me. So he left me in the middle of the desert um, in the absolute dire straits. I didn't know whether he would live or I would live. We were in a state of such severe dehydration that it was diabolical. And obviously I could, you know, <laughs> I could talk about that one trip for a couple of hours, uh, but I don't want to do that here. But what came out of that was is that relationship did eventually end. I did get through the desert. I had massive um, uh, problems to deal with after that, both on a physical level, damaged kidneys, um, damaged all the nerves in the upper body. It took me a long, long time to recover from it physically, but it, mentally the scars of that time and that whole uh, five-year period really left me a broken person for a long, long time. And it took running to put me back together. I was A couple of years later, I had come across an article in a magazine about a race uh, across the marath- uh, the Morocco uh, called the Marathon de Sables, which is a very famous race. And I decided that perhaps I could do this because I was no longer in that relationship. I wanted to still have adventures. I was recovered uh, enough physically. And I was comparing the statistics to what we'd done in the Libyan desert, which was, you know, off the scales extreme, to this race. And it was touted as the toughest race on earth at that stage. And I thought, hang on, man, this is a hell of a lot easier than what I've just been through. So maybe I can do this. I've never done even a marathon at that stage. I wasn't a, a very good runner. I hadn't run very far. I'd done a lot of trekking and a lot of mountain climbing, a lot of kayaking and, and, and that sort of thing. But I hadn't actually done any marathons or long distance running per se. Uh, but I signed up for this race and did it anyway. And that, that was the turning point in my life, the Marathon de Sables, an absolutely amazing race. And 
it, when I did that race, it really showed me that there was life outside of myself. People that were telling me that I was great, that I was doing awesome. I was surrounded by positive people, which I hadn't been for years and years and years. And so I became very, very excited about the fact that I was, I had, I found friends that were like-minded, crazy people, wonderful people that were doing all this sort of stuff with me. And I felt encouraged, I felt confident, and therefore I got into ultramarathon running in a big way. So I, I finished that race, I did really, really well, um, and then I just wanted more and more and more because of the the, the praise I got, the, the friendships that I developed, the, the confidence that I started to have in, in myself, realizing that, hey, I wasn't as useless as I was told or that I thought I was. And so the upshot of that was that running really became my therapy, and hence the title of this podcast, Running is Cheaper Than Therapy, and you've probably seen that on a couple of quotes around the place, and I have to laugh when I read that because it really is a form of therapy. And and what happened, what followed, obviously, was 25 years of, of crazy adventures all around the world doing mad things, and, you know, in the beginning, it was very much a, a thing about proving myself and, and overcoming a lot of that self-doubt and trying to prove that I was not as useless as, as I was told I was. Um, I'd also grown up in a family that very much valued mental toughness and physical toughness and weaknesses not really tolerated. Being too too uh, sedentary or lazy or whatever you want to call it was not appreciated by my dad. He wanted us to be all top athletes. And so I'd grown up with that pressure. Then I'd gone into a very similar relationship. And so I, I, it took me years and years and years to find my way back and running has really given me so, so much. I mean, I've been through some hell places with my running. I've been, you know, pushed my body to the point where I've actually damaged my kidneys. I've got a whole lot of health problems associated with what I've done and what I've been through. But you know what? It was all worth it because... I learned so much about what I'm capable of that I can overcome a lot of the fears that I thought I had. I I learned to put whole projects together. I learned to market myself. I learned to speak. I learned how much I, I learned teamwork. I, I learned what it's like to be a visionary and to have other people come along with your vision. I learned business. I learned, you know, just a whole plethora of things that have really come out of this this love and passion for adventure and for running. So I just wanted to share that little story with you today. Pretty extreme one, I know. But if you're struggling out there with any issues, whether it's mental health issues, I've had uh, you know quite a lot of people with PTSD approach me and say that they're really struggling with this and that. Then you know, running is or, or movement in nature, being outside and being physical and connecting with your body and doing breathing techniques and getting away from bloody computers and uh, you know all of these things that help us find balance in life, having good daily ways of coping and de-pressurizing ourselves can really help with our mental health. And for me, that's what running did and, and still continues to be. And I really encourage you, if you are out there, if you're facing depression, if you're facing anxiety, panic attacks, if you've got a massive challenge, if you're in a very difficult relationship, uh, all of these things, you're not alone. There are so many people facing so many different obstacles out there, and we don't always share them out in the public arena, but I just want you to know that there are lots and lots of people going through a lot of things, and finding strength 
from each other and finding strength and telling honest stories is my goal here. And I really hope that it gives somebody out there courage to, to feel like they're not alone in their struggles, that they can find a way through. And I really encourage you to take up a sport, whether it's running or kayaking, I don't care what it is, as long as it's outside, that you are connecting with nature, if you're surfing or if you're up mountains or you're hiking, whatever it is that gets your blood going. And, and, and dive into that and find your peace with yourself and start to get back on the road to recovery. Reach out to people who can help you. Find like-minded people. You know, like, I'll tell you another quick story. I've been my whole life, I've always felt like a fish out of water when it came to, I did really well at school, but then as soon as I hit the workforce, I was like, what the hell? I, I felt like a fish out of water. I, I, I could not stand to be in an office environment. I remember I worked for an insurance company. was the first job I had, and I and I I was physically ill every day because I hated it so much. I felt like a fish out of water, and I didn't know what was wrong with me, you know. And I and I felt like it was all my fault because I wasn't getting ahead in my career. And then you know I I ended up going off overseas with a, that young man and 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 escaping that whole thing for a while. But I uh, was always an entrepreneur. What I know now is that I'm an entrepreneurial personality type. I have a very strong bent to want to be independent. I don't fit in anyone else's square. I'm unemployable, as I like to say. And to know that there are lots and lots of other entrepreneurial type of people uh, that also don't fit inside the square that society wants to push us, put us in. And it doesn't mean that we're lazy and it doesn't mean that we're dumb and it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with us. It's just that we haven't found our tribe yet. Uh, and I've been listening to a wonderful podcast lately that's really been uh, a real eye-opener for me by a man by the name of Alex Sharfin who has the Momentum podcast and I'm trying to get him on on here as an interview but he's a pretty big fish so it might be a bit of a a hard task to do. Um, He's taken a number of companies from zero to a billion dollars and he has uh, a wonderful way of explaining how we think and, and what I'm trying to say here, you might not be the entrepreneurial personality type. You might be quite happy in the office environment or the political environment or wherever you are happy. The thing is, find your tribe. Find your types of people. If you're a student out there, you're struggling at school, you don't fit in the in the, the normal systems that are out there, don't despair. You're not alone. And it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. It just means that you tick a different way and you've got to find your tribe who will help you interpret and be the best version of you that you can be so I hope that was encouraging to you all today never ever give up is the other message just keep on moving no matter if you're crying no matter if you fall down no matter if you fail failing is perfectly okay in my books fail and fail fast and keep going keep going that's the only thing that you have to remember is never to stop because only then do you fail ultimately. Thank you very much for listening to me today, guys. Please, if you are, be so kind to go and give us a rating and review on iTunes. That would be really, really appreciated if you like this content. And, of course, share it with your networks. That would be great. Thanks, guys. Do you want to run faster, further, without pain and injuries? Do you want to learn how to maximize your limited training time to get the most out of yourself? If you want a PB at your next ultra marathon or you just want to run your very first kilometer, then we can help you get there using our holistic five pillars approach. 
Our system includes all the pieces of the training puzzle from strength and conditioning to mobility workouts to nutrition and supplementation. And a big piece of the puzzle is mindset and motivation, as well, of course, as your run sessions and your technique drills. To find out more, download our free online run training e-course at runninghotcoaching.com. That's it for this episode of Pushing the Limits with your host, Lisa Tamati. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe and share all this goodness with your networks so we can impact more lives with positive insights and inspiring conversations. And check us out online at www.lisatamati.co.nz.